2: Jordan, now it shakes, Gray
1: gets two! Gilmore on, oh, stop, oh, oh, brother. lead Toledo, you get 21! 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace, here's Barry.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann. Uh, with me always is Rich Krech, and we are joined today by Philip Rospin-Reich. He is the editor of Orlando Magic Daily, as well as a contributor to Harvard Paroxysm, which is where you can find this very podcast. So, Philip, <laughs> welcome to the program.
2: Uh, good to be here. Glad, glad to finally be on. Talk some, Talk some basketball history here.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we are continuing our top 50 project looking at the greatest players of NBA history, going through modern players and considering their cases. And today we are going to discuss Chris Webber. Um, looking at sort of the overall numbers for him, he is 125th all-time in winchairs, 173rd in winchairs for 48, uh, 31st in Boktor plus minus, 34th in value of replacement player, Um, For some of the uh, all-time rankings, he is uh, 72nd on the uh, Bill Simmons Pyramid, and he is 80th in the uh, Slam 500. He has uh, one All-NBA first team, three All-NBA second teams, and one third team. He has one season uh, top ten uh, win shares per forty eight, uh, two seasons value of replacement player, and six seasons top ten box score plus minus. It's interesting; the he does not rate very well in the win shares categories, but he does va- he rates very well in the box score plus minus value replacement uh, categories, which
1: isn't that uncommon. But I'm not sure, if, if, Rich, I'm not sure if I've ever quite seen this level of disparity. It's a weird discrepancy. Yeah, usually y- you don't see that. Usually, usually you'll get some guys more than not, like the box score plus minus rate them a little bit better than the wind shares versus the other way around, or they pretty well are, are in line. But yeah, Weber's a, a rarity where he's, he's pretty much across a uh, very, very, very different across the board. So that's, it's interesting guy. Yeah, I uh, might have to go deeper into that when we uh, get closer to making that decision about the top 50. If, if you know if Weber does come up uh, again, cause yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very curious. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Philip, you know, what do you think
0: about, um, Chris Weber's uh, top 50 case?
2: You know, I, I- Weber came up, I think, in this era, at least he was in his prime during this era where there was all these great power forwards. Um, you know, I remember, you know, watching him go up against Dirk, watching him go up against Duncan, watching him go up against Garnett. They're all in this conference, too. And so I think, you know, I think most of us would probably say those guys are all top 50 caliber players, Um. And so, I, when I look at Weber's candidacy, I say, okay. So, how does he match up to his contemporaries? And it, it's hard—it's hard not to say he doesn't stand pretty tall against them. Uh, you know, those were those were all marquee matchups in the NBA throughout the early 2000s. Um, you know, those were the the matchups that you circled on the calendar for the national tv games they were they were in the playoffs uh constantly and and you know maybe weber was a little bit older than than some of those guys so maybe their primes didn't completely match up but weber did seem to to put his best basket basketball on uh against those guys but at the same time it, his team seemed to be better than he was like when i when i think of those guys i think that they were better individually and maybe that's just because weber did more for his team because he was, he was, I think he was just a much better passer than, than a lot of those guys outside of maybe Duncan and and what he was asked to do for his team. So, uh, you know, I think, I think he certainly, you can, I certainly think he's in the in the argument, but when I, when I look at him compared to his contemporaries, you know, I kind of wonder, you know, was, was, was he a product of, of the team that he was, he was on, uh, or, or was he really that much better than, than the guys around him in, in his day and age?
1: Uh, I think, Phil, it's, it's a good point. Right now, I, I, we always do this for the podcast. Sure. And we look at kind of the stats, the advanced stats for error position and, and, and position all time. Uh, and, and it does kind of echo what you were sort of saying. If we look at error position, uh, third in points per 36, uh, 26th in rebounds per 36, uh, third, remarkably, in assists per 36, 38th in effective field goal percentage, 16th in win shares per 48, fourth in win shares, and then second in uh, value over replacement players. So that's in his era. So basically, like you said, he stands out from a point standpoint, not a rebound standpoint, but the assists, I think, is one of the biggest things and it's exactly what you mentioned i mean he stands out as you know one of the best power forward passers of his era uh when we look at all time same deal 11th in points per 36 107th in rebounds per 36 so that's where he really suffers is the rebounds but on the other hand 7th in assists per 36 uh 75th in effective field goal percentage 33rd in win shares per 48 23rd in win shares and then 5th in value over replacement player so again value replacement player really likes him great assist numbers great scoring numbers but you know the rebounding and that sort of stuff, maybe not quite there. He's an interesting one. I think the biggest thing for me is, and I get a very similar like a TMAC vibe from him as well. Because if we were doing a top fifty of like guy, like talent or whatever, he's obviously like you know in his early days and pre you know knee injury, just a. a, a insane blend of like size and speed and just what he could do and how he could run the floor and just how he could just do so many things but what was also interesting too is he was very nimble around the basket like if there was an open lane he'd just throw it down on guys and be ferocious but if there was a guy in front of him he'd be very like you know very precise footwork very you know kind of head fakes and that sort of stuff to get his position and to score so it's interesting but then yeah you obviously a lot of the the injuries robbed, you know, the last half of his career, and I think that's what really suffers for him is when you look at him all the time and you you look at some of his numbers and you look at how we think of him and you look at, you know, like you said, contemporaries. He just doesn't have that longevity. It's like that that especially those Sixers and the Detroit era. You know, he was still putting up twenty a game, but like he was in quicksand. He couldn't move, and then he just fell off like real, real fast. I mean, the Warriors years are just like pathetic, and the, the, a lot of the Detroit, you know, Pistons years, those were just kind of there. But I, I think that's where he suffers for me more than anything is just that he doesn't have that longevity like he he right when he was figuring out you know injuries kind of robbed him and then he just wasn't the same again so talent wise yeah he probably is a top 50 if you go by performance what he sort of achieved i i don't know it's a tough case
0: yeah and it did take him a little while early to get going although the numbers were certainly there but he or you know for the most part i mean he, he he produced still pretty well um Uh, But once he really made his way into Sacramento is really when he became like a star level, you know, just, you know, remained a a star player. Um, But that was a relatively short period of time. So um, he kind of produced okay on some middling teams. You know, kind of had some conflict with uh, coaches and some just early um, stuff. So that actual like prime, those prime years in Sacramento were, you know, he had, you know, four really good years before that, that knee injury basically, you know, kind of made him a shell of, um, of himself, unfortunately. And, um, you know, one thing for me is that I, I remember that certainly the passing and certainly many of the skills, but I'd forgotten like what, like an incredible dunker he was, an incredible finisher he was like around the basket. I mean, he was really, um, and and the way that he could, um, you, you know, handle the ball and, um, I mean, he was just really – he was really versatile, and I, I just – I, I remember that a bit, but just seeing the highlights just, like, brought that back is just, like, what a – you know, how much of a – you know, just all the skills that he had. And um, I mean, the, the other negative that I would say for him, and it may not be fair, but he did have a reputation for shrinking in big moments. I remember there was a Bill Simmons column. Um, it may have even been part of his book, looking at Weber and looking at um, – you know, some of the um, uh, probably the 2002 series where like, you know, he didn't really necessarily want to have much to do with having the ball like in the, in, in the fourth quarter and, you know, in the, in the big moments there. And, and it's not necessarily um, fair because, you know, he delivered at some points in big moments too, but um, that's just probably something that knocks that da- knocks him down, at least in terms
1: of perception.
2: Was, was he the one that batted the ball out to, to Ori? I know, I know that's not a
1: measure of, anything. I think that was Divac. I I, I, I believe that was Vladi. I'm almost positive, but I I, I don't recall exactly. I'd have to I I thought uh, it was
0: Stojakovic for some reason, but either way it was (laughs) a king. I I mean (laughs) I mean
2: mean, that that, I mean really I think when you I mean to 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 that point almost that 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 series came to define everyone on that on those Kings teams. Like that was that was their moment. Uh you know we we obviously obviously if you win that series, you win a championship. You you talk about Weber in a much different light. You know, you, you remember a lot of the things that he did and but really he's just become the footnote in maybe Shaquille O'Neal's story or the footnote in, in someone else's story almost because, you know, he was either the, the kind of established old guard that Dirk had to get through or he was the guy he was the the, the young guy or the youngish guy that tried to derail Shaq and Kobe. And so you know, I, I don't know I don't know if you guys are looking this at this, you know, purely from a statistical standpoint, but I think that's kind of part of his narrative too is is like you said like he 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 kind of shrunk in those big moments you know when when he had that big moment to really shine and 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 be the guy and and I think a lot of people who remember that that series between the Kings and the Lakers really believed that that Kings team was going to beat the Lakers I mean they were they were right there uh you know seven game series obviously game six was semi-controversial in a lot of ways but uh they really were right really right there at the doorstep and once that opportunity past him, uh, the knee injuries struck and, and Weber was never really at, at that stage again. And I think that affects how we view him because, um, you know, because then Dirk came on and he couldn't get and Dirk got past him and and, you know, as, and Garnett got past him, you know, one year too, two, I think. And so it, it, it really once that door shut, it was shut.
1: And, and I think one of the interesting things is you, you look at when the injury happened as well, and then you look at that two thousand three, uh, the two thousand two two thousand three Sacramento kingston which a lot of people forget. That was a, a really good team. They came back that next year. Weber was playing out of his mind that year. They were, I think, they had the number two seed, I believe, in the playoffs. They blew through the Utah Jazz. They were, were doing well against the Mavericks. And then what you know, Weber has that knee injury. They're done. They can't do anything. And then he comes back, and he's not nearly a fan. And the team it was over after that. Like once he goes down in that series, it's pretty well done, and it's pretty well, you know, that's it for the Kings so it's interesting to sort of think of hey and of course you know we can't you know kind of fantasy or come up with fantasies of what would have happened hey if he didn't get hurt they might have won a championship you no know, obviously can't do that because he did get hurt but you look at that year and I always look at that year of like man I really wish we could have just seen another year of the healthy Weber and then if they get to the same thing say they face the Lakers or they face the Spurs or whoever they were going to face in the next round if they do that then if he still fails then it's like okay you know what this is the year that everybody sort of because it was a little fluky the year before I mean they they had kind of established themselves for a few years but it was like oh my god these kings kind of came out of nowhere where I felt like that 2002 2003 year was like okay we're ready to go I know Weber always says hey the minute that Lakers series is over I got in the gym I was ready to go and he had a spectacular year in that 2002 2003 and then the injury happens and it's all over so it's it's interesting to think of what could kind of happen a with those Kings teams and a with Weber's career and his legacy if he stays healthy through those playoffs and maybe makes an NBA finals I mean maybe not wins a championship maybe not go that far but at least makes it to the NBA Finals I think you have a whole different trajectory and a whole different thought about Chris Webber at that point
0: yeah, one thing I would say, you know, kind of on a, a different end of things is um, you know, he was part of a team, you know, under Rick Adelman, you know, using the Princeton system with, you know, Weber being a great passer, Devot being a great passer, um, you know, Jason Williams doing these dynamic things. And then later, you know, Mike Bibby, not quite as exciting, but, you know, still part of the team, obviously important, um, you know, good shooters, um, good passers, just a a really beautiful style of basketball to watch, and you know, kind of from that aesthetic standpoint, and and maybe even a little bit in just kind of a a style influence standpoint. I think Weber, there there's something there that I think kind of boosts him. You know, just being just a beautiful guy to watch play basketball.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I I always. Enjoyed, I was. I think it seemed like you know, I grew up on, on the East Coast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from Orlando, obviously, um, which is another interesting wrinkle to Weber's history as well. But, uh, I, I it seemed like everyone that followed the NBA that that was not that didn't have a vested interest elsewhere in the Western Conference or at the top of the Western Conference was either like team. Rick Adelman's Kings or Team Don Nelson's Mavericks. Uh, I, I, I. <laughs>
1: I was both. I, Is that I, allowed? <laughs> I, I
2: think. I think so. Until they faced each other. But like, anytime the Kings <laughs> and the Mavericks faced each other, it was just like these two really, especially in that era when there was a lot of kind of me-first basketball going on. When the Mavericks and the Kings faced each other, it was just kind of this like pure form of basketball being being displayed on the court. And they, they, they were always a must watch team, much, must watch team. And certainly I don't think the, I mean, the stats bear this out too, with how highly ranked Weber was and, and everything that he did for them. And, you know, I, I think the wins above replacement and, and box plus minus really shows that probably too. Uh, that Weber made that team work because he was such an, un- he was such an unselfish player, such a skilled passer. And when you gave him an inch, he'd take it and, and score on you. I mean, he, he, he really did have the complete package. You know, he didn't have to be the great rebounder because, uh, DeVos was able to take care of some of that, some of that, some of that in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he, he was a, he was a pretty good defender for his position as well. Uh, and so, you know, he, you know, he, really fit that style perfectly. He needed to find a good fit. It didn't work out with him, you know. He had to kind of get over some of his some of his, you know, I don't I don't know exactly what the word is. Some of his his hang-ups on being in Sacramento. I think he he really thirsted for a bigger market in some ways, but once he kind of realized that Adelman that that Adelman system was going to highlight his skills the best and and the fact that they were winning also probably helps a little bit. Uh once, once he kind of came to that realization, you really saw him begin to flourish and, and become the player everyone imagined he was going to be when you know he was with the Fab Five at Michigan.
1: Do you think any of his legacy is hurt by how many times he was traded, and especially er- being traded so early in his career? Uh, you know, a number of times, and then later in his career, just kind of bouncing around as well. He, you know, we we always sort of think of him immediately as a Sacramento King, but. As Jason said at the top of this, I mean, that was really not a big part of his career. I mean, he had, it's the biggest part that we remember, but he had, I mean, equal amount of length in, in, in numerous different spots. So it's, it's interesting how he doesn't really have a home base. And we've sort of seen throughout this Top 50 project that those sort of guys that seem to bounce around and don't seem to have a home base or, or, or a team that they're sort of directly aligned with have an issue with legacy. Like we don't really kind of regard them quite as high.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I do think – I think it's a little bit different for books. because I think like he played the, definitely by far the most important player time in his career with Sacramento. I think he yeah, – I, 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 I think he's – you know i I don't think there's really like a competing team like he played a good a good while in Washington too but no one really remembers those teams other than you know like they were maybe like an up-and-coming team like a what could have been kind of team but beyond that they didn't really do much um and then his other stops were actually relatively brief so um you know he was with Iverson on, on the 76ers for a little while but that when that kind of tore apart and his, his other stops were were pretty brief so um I mean i I do think that there's like you in general, though, I do agree that you're better off if you can stick in your career to pretty much one place. And if you're, you know, if you're on multiple teams, it's, it does still kind of, like, put... For most guys, it puts a little bit of a stain. Um, like, oh, what you know, why couldn't you have stuck in one place? Or why didn't, you know, like, you know... And, you know, he certainly... He caused some personality conflicts or had personality conflicts of the guys that led to some of those trades. So it wasn't just, like... But like he did nothing. But at the same time, you know, it's a little bit unfair. Sometimes, just things don't work out. And obviously, when he got the chance, he delivered on an incredible
1: level.
2: Uh, honestly, I think I think the fact that he bounced around the league a little bit d- definitely hurts his legacy. Some maybe, you know. And this is no offense to the good people of Sacramento, um, and and the Kings franchise and what they built in the early two thousands. But being in Sacramento may hurt his legacy too, just because Sacramento's. You know, kind of this out of the way market. You know, very it's the smallest market in in the NBA. Uh, there's not a lot of history there. I mean, he is he is pretty much him and Mitch Richmond are pretty much the history of the Sacramento Kings. And you know, ever since Weber left, they've been kind of an organization of dysfunction. And so, I think kind you know kind of like how I mean Oscar Robertson's you know same same franchise more or less, but Oscar Robertson's maybe a little less so because he has you know the statistical seasons that he had and. And, you know, a lot of people consider him a great guard, but he isn't kind of universally celebrated in maybe the way he should because Cincinnati no longer has an NBA team. And, you know, he really spent the latter part of his career in Milwaukee. Uh, so, it, you know, in some of the same way, you know, no one care. I mean, again, no offense to Kings fans. I, I love Kings fans. They're the best. They're one of the best in the league. But nationally, the Kings don't move the needle. And so he almost, to... Get the recognition that you know maybe his career merits. He needed to get to a finals or win a championship, and or, or at least challenge the Lakers multiple years. Be you know like a bigger part of that story of that you know main story that we tell about the NBA. And you know I think the other thing that maybe drags down Weber's career a little bit is the fact that the the you know there was so much controversy around his college career. Um, I, I don't think that ever left him. That you know the Fab Five. A never won the national championship at Michigan and B had all their wins wiped out. I mean I, 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 you know I know yeah. we're talking maybe about NBA stuff, but you know sure. Weber troubles seem to follow Weber around, especially in the early part of his career. And you know f- you know for whatever overtones you want to put into you know how Weber acted and, and what he did while he was at Michigan and, and there's certainly a lot that could be written about that as well. Um, you know, people view that how they view that, you know, rightly or wrongly, and that that definitely affected how you know we tell his story.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I looked at the video. It is uh, it is Divac that uh okay that volleyballs the ball back to uh, Robert Dory, so he is the man in question. So they're they're all there. Stay, they, it was it could have been any of them. I mean, they're all basically right by the ball. It's it's it's, it's, so. it's the
2: JFK tape of, of the NBA. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. Uh.
0: So anything else you guys wanted to talk about?
1: All right. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Richard. For me, yeah. For the me, Weber. <sighs> I have a tough time with top fifty, and and I I really do love Chris Webber, and I thought he has all the skill and all the talent and whatnot to do it. It's just that back end of his career is just not there, and like you said, the beginning is not quite there either. It took him a little while to get going, and once he got going, he was there for a while, and then it just sort of falls off. and And the way it fell off was so spectacular. I mean, those Golden State Detroit years are just like, ugh, like you're watching him play, and you're like, who is this guy? Like he can't move, he can't do anything. Like still could score because he still had the skill, but it's just all that was lost. Everything that was Chris Webber about. Chris Chris Weber was gone, and and it really does hurt. So for me, that that's kind of why I would probably put him in the not, you know, I would have him outside of the top fifty, even though you could, I think, make a reasonable argument for him. But I just, I, I don't know if the longevity there and the full career is there for Webber, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I I do think that the fact that he rates so well in the in in the box score plus minus uh, value of replacement metrics, I think it's worth a, kind of a deeper look, but. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I do think he's just going to, he's going to fall short.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I, you know, I just, I think the longevity is, is my big issue with him. Um, you know, he obviously had a lot of very, very good years. Um, just not a very, lot of very, very good years at the very, very top, which is, I think, you know, when you're talking about top 50, that's, that's where you need to be.
0: Definitely. So, uh, Philip, thanks so much for, uh, joining us and, uh, and, and where can everyone, uh, find you on, uh, on Twitter and such?
2: Uh, the best place to find me is at omagicdaily. Oh
0: All right. Well, uh, thanks again. And, uh, thanks everyone for uh, checking us out. You can find us at harborparoxism.com and uh, we are on uh, iTunes, both the Hardware Processing Network and our podcast, Over and Back. We would love if you would g- give either or both a rating and a review. Let us let people know that it's great, that helps spread the word. And um, you can find our forums at overandbacknba.com, and you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. So uh, until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.